Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us together, Lord, this morning, because you long to draw near to us and you long to bless us. I just once again pray that you would rain down your spirit upon us. Just pray that you would minister to our hearts and our minds this morning. I just pray that you'd keep me hidden behind the cross and that Jesus would be seen, heard, and known this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. The Devotional Life of Christ. Notice this amazing statement from the Desire of Ages. We are told through continual communion. What kind of communion? Through continual communion, he received life from God that he might impart life to the world. And then Ellen White goes on to say this. She says, his experience is to be our experience. You know, as I see the news these days, I no longer believe that we are headed for the last days. I believe that we are in the last days. And if we are serious about fulfilling the mission of the Adventist church which God has given to us, of course, we must know the basics, friends, but we must also have the experience of Christ when it comes to devotions. The devotional life of Christ must become our experience. Now, I want to share with you two paragraphs that precede uh, the words up on the screen. But before we go there, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 12. This is an amazing promise that Jesus gives to us. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What an amazing promise. Now, who is Jesus speaking to here? His disciples. And, and did the disciples realize the fulfillment of this promise during their lifetime? Yes. Okay. We read the book of Acts, and certainly we can see how this promise was fulfilled. And in Desire of Ages, Ellen White makes it clear that, that Jesus... When he made this promise, he's saying that their, that their work would have wider extent and not that their work would be of a more exalted character. She makes that very clear. Who is Jesus speaking to this morning as we read this verse? Jesus speaking to us, amen? amen. We too are his disciples, and I believe that one day Jesus is going to fulfill this promise through, through us. I want to share with you a couple of statements from the Desire of Ages that Ellen White makes about this amazing promise in John chapter 14, verse 12. She writes, The Savior was deeply anxious for his disciples to understand for what purpose his divinity was united to humanity. He came to the world to display the glory of God, that man might be uplifted by its restoring power. God was manifested in him, that he, that Christ, may be manifested in, in us. Jesus revealed no qualities and exercised no powers that men may not have through faith in him. Isn't that amazing? Amen. And then she goes on to write, His perfect humanity is that which all his followers may possess if they will be in subjection to God as he was. Is it your desire? To be in subjection to God as Christ was. Because if so, his perfect humanity is that which all his followers may possess. So that's, that's one statement. Here's, here's another statement. 
The Savior's promise to his disciples is a promise to his church to the end of time. God did not design that his wonderful plan to redeem men should achieve only insignificant results. What kind of results? Insignificant, insignificant results. Now, in your mission field, i.e., your home church, what are you seeing? Are you seeing significant results or insignificant results? You know, sadly, in a lot of churches in the NAD, the North American Division, the average church is adding three members per year. Is that significant or insignificant? It's insignificant. God did not design that his wonderful plan to redeem men should achieve only insignificant results. She goes on to say, All who will go to work, trusting not in what they themselves can do, but in what God can do for and through them, will certainly realize the fulfillment of his promise. Greater works than these shall ye do, he declares, because I go unto my Father. How many of you want to realize the fulfillment of this amazing promise? If we went to work trusting not in what we ourselves can do, but in what God can do for and through us, would we be following the example of Jesus? Yes. Notice the words of Jesus. I'm going to put up a number of texts. All these texts come from the book of John. Jesus, speaking of himself, said, The Son can do nothing of himself. John 5.19. And then John chapter 5, verse 30, he says, I can of myself do nothing. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. John 8.28, I do nothing of myself. John 8.50, I do not seek my own glory. So when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see a life of utter dependence on the Father. Jesus lived a life of entire submission to the Father's will. Jesus was, was nothing and God was everything. How many of you want to be nothing so that God can be everything? Amen? Is Jesus calling us to live a life of utter dependence and to follow his example? Because Jesus went to work trusting not in what he himself can do, but in what, what the Father could do for him and through him, it is for this reason that Jesus spent so much time in prayer. Are you following me? So if we want to realize the fulfillment of this promise in John chapter 14, 12, it's only going to happen as the devotional experience of Christ becomes our devotional experience. Now, I want to share with you some words by Ian Bounds before we actually get to the two paragraphs that precede that, that statement that I put on at the very beginning of the message. Ian Bounds has written many books on the subject of prayer. He pretty much touches on every aspect of prayer. Great author. In his book, Weapon of Prayer, he writes, Prayer is the language of a person burdened with a sense of... What do you suppose goes into that blank? Very good. I heard it. Need. Prayer is the language of a person burdened with a sense of need. It is the voice of the beggar conscious of his poverty, asking of another the things he needs. It is not only the language of lack, but a felt lack of lack consciously realized. 
Prayer is the language of those who need something, something which they themselves cannot supply, but which God has promised them, and so they what? So they ask. In the end, poor praying and prayerlessness amount to the same thing. For poor praying proceeds from a lack of the sense of need, while prayerlessness has its origin in the same soil. Not to pray is to declare there's nothing needed and to admit there's no realization of a need. This is what magnifies the sin of prayerlessness. Did you know that prayerlessness was a sin? This is what magnifies the sin of prayerlessness. It represents an attempt at instituting an independence of God, a self-sufficient ruling of God out of the life. It is a declaration made to God that we do not need Him and hence do not pray to Him. This is the state in which the Holy Spirit in his messages to the seven churches in Asia found the Laodicean church. The Laodicean state has come to stand for one in which God is ruled out, expelled from the life, put out of the pulpit. The entire combination of this church is summed up in one expression, because thou sayest, I have need of nothing. This is the most alarming state into which a person, a church, or a preacher can come. And he finishes by saying, trusting in its riches, in its social position, in things outward and material, the church at Laodicea omitted God, leaving him out of their church plans and church work and declared by their acts and by their omission of prayer, I have need of nothing. So in the Praying Church Idea book by Douglas Campstra, he writes, a survey of pastors at a conference in Dallas indicated that more than 95% of pastors pray less than five minutes a day. This is not speaking of Adventist pastors, but, but I don't think the stats would be any different for Adventist pastors. Because I know that when I first entered the ministry, I was praying about an average of five minutes a day. When I was in the seminary, one of my professors who, who believed and understood the power of prayer, he says that if you want your members to pray 30 minutes a day, you as the pastor need to spend at least an hour a day in prayer. If you want your members to pray an hour a day, you better be spending two hours in prayer. But what do we expect when our pastors on average are spending only five minutes a day in prayer? What did Ian Bell say? The Laodicean state has come to stand for one in which God is ruled out, expelled from the life, put out of the pulpit. So everything I've shared with you up to this point at this time is simply to prepare you for what we're going to read from the Desire of Ages about Christ's devotional experience. just want to help you understand how important prayer was to Christ. Keep in mind that Christ was utterly dependent on the Father and he was burdened with a sense of need. So going back to the Desire of Ages, it says, No other life was ever so crowded with labor and responsibility as was that of Jesus. Yet how often he was found in prayer. How constant was his communion with God. Have you ever said, I would pray more, but I'm simply too busy? If anyone could have made that excuse, it was Christ. By the way, communion is two ways. It is through prayer that we speak to God, and it is primarily through His Word that He communicates to us. So though I'm speaking a lot about prayer, I want you to understand that when we talk about communion, we also need to spend time, much time in God's Word. 
Continuing on, it says, again and again in, in the history of his earthly life are found records such as these. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there prayed. You want to be like Jesus? You need to begin your mornings in his presence, securing his presence. I'm not a morning person. I know how difficult it is. To get up in the mornings, there are times where I have argued with God about why I need to begin my day in the morning. But I have found that, that, that my days go so much more smoothly when I begin my day in His presence. By the way, this afternoon, in one of the breakout sessions, I'm going to talk about how you can have a more enriching devotional experience. So that if, if that is of interest to you, please come uh, this afternoon. I think it's in room Ponderosa. If we want to walk with Jesus throughout the day, we must begin the day in his presence. Continuing on, it says, Great multitudes came to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. Luke 6.12 is the only place in the Bible that actually tells us that he spent the whole night in prayer. But as you'll see later, if you go to the, uh, to the spirit of prophecy, we're told that Jesus often spent the entire night in prayer. In a life wholly devoted to the good of others, the Savior found it necessary to withdraw from the thoroughfares of travel and from the throng that followed him day after day. He must turn aside from a life of ceaseless activity and contact with human needs to seek retirement and unbroken communion with his Father. And we too must turn aside from our lives of ceaseless activity. Are our days filled with ceaseless activity? Especially in the 21st century with our smartphones, with uh, instant email access, with, with Facebook, with Twitter. As one with us, a sharer in our needs and weaknesses, he was wholly dependent upon God. And in the secret place of prayer, he sought divine strength that he might go forth grace for duty and trial. Being wholly dependent on the Father, being burdened with a sense of need, this is what drove him to his knees. In a world of sin, Jesus endured struggles and torture of soul. In communion with God, he can unburden the sorrows that were crushing him. Here he found comfort and joy. And then she says, in Christ, the cry of humanity reached the father of infinite pity. As a man, he supplicated the throne of God till his humanity was charged with the heavenly current that should connect humanity with divinity. And then we come to the statement that we started with. Through continual communion, he received life from God that he might impart life to the world. His experience is to be ours. The devotional life of Christ must be the devotional life of the remnant if we want to realize the fulfillment of Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says, Greater works than these shall ye do. Let's turn once again to John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. 
Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. He gives this amazing promise. And then we go on to verse 13. He says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's saying, you've got to ask. You've got to ask. And if this is not enough, again and again, let's, let's jump over to John chapter 15, verse 7. John chapter 15, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will what? Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Let's turn the page. John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you what? That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Let's go to John chapter 16. Let's go to verse 23. John chapter 16, verse 23. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Again, Jesus was making this so clear on the eve of his crucifixion, his last evening with his disciples. It is so important that you ask, that you move forward in prayer. Patriarchs and prophets, we are told the men of prayer are the men of power. And this goes for ladies too, amen? The men, the women of prayer are the men and the women of power. You know, throughout history, you look at the great men that have been used most mightily by God. They, they all come from different backgrounds, different, uh, different faiths. But the one thing that they all had in common was that they were all men and women of prayer. The great missionaries, the great reformers, the great preachers of yesteryear. The one thing that they all had in common was that, was that they were all men and women of prayer. People that would spend two, three, four, five hours a day in prayer. John Wesley, who spent a minimum of two hours each day in prayer, has said God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. So I want to, I want to answer one of the most common objections that comes up for why people cannot spend more time in prayer and have the kind of devotional life that Christ had. And what you often, most often hear is simply too busy to pray. Have you ever said this before? Simply too busy to pray. I want you to understand something. This is what the devil wants us to believe. This is a lie from the devil. The devil will come to us and he will plant thoughts in our minds. And he'll come to us in the voice of the first person. And he'll make us think that it's actually a thought that we came up with. That's how the devil comes to us with temptations. And I believe that the devil has used this lie very successfully. This is keeping so many people from having a richer devotional experience. I want to go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, which, which we read earlier when we went through that passage in Desire of Ages. In verse 15 it says, The report went around concerning him all the more. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So imagine the report is going out. He heals all manner of diseases. Can you imagine how busy Jesus was? We're told in the Desire of Ages that Jesus would go through a village 
And quite often, there would not be one sick person left when Jesus passed through a village. Imagine how busy Jesus was. But what does verse 16 say? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He made sure he took that time to be with God. He never allowed a busy schedule to keep him from spending that time with the Lord. We're told in the book, Ye Shall Receive Power, examining the record of his life, we found that upon all important occasions, he retired to the grove or to the solitude of the mountains and offered earnest, persevering prayer to God. And this is amazing. He frequently, he what? He frequently devoted the entire night to prayer just before he was called upon to work some mighty miracle. Can you think of all the mighty miracles that Jesus wrought when he was on this earth? Perhaps the feeding of the 5,000, the raising of, of Lazarus from the dead. He frequently devoted the entire night to prayer just before he was called upon to work some mighty miracle. Now, when I was young, and I would, I would read the scriptures, I, I just believed that Jesus could do all these things because he was God, right? But we need to remember that when he walked on earth, his divinity was clothed with humanity. He walked as a man on this earth, and he completely depended on the Father for everything. And what would happen if we depended on the Father as Christ depended on the Father, and if we prayed as Christ prayed? Charles Spurgeon great man of prayer. He was known as the prince of preachers, a very gifted preacher. He has said, sometimes we think we are too busy to pray. That is a great mistake, for praying is a saving of time. Praying is a what? Praying is a saving of time. And you will only come to experience this as you make prayer a priority in your life. Martin Luther was once asked what his plans were for the following day. His answer was, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. What is the point? Prayer is a saving of time. The busier you get, the more time you need to spend in prayer. And I'm actually sharing this, I know this from experience. There are times before going on an overseas trip, the work just piles on my plate. I've just got so much to do. I have, I feel, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I know that I've got to spend extra time as I begin the day. If I usually spend an hour and a half for devotions, I'll spend two or two and a half hours that morning in devotions, just praying about everything, and God has a way of just putting everything into place. Amen. And everything just goes more smoothly. Martin Luther has said, the less I pray, the harder it gets. The more I pray, the better it goes. We need to understand this, friends, because we need to pray even more than we pray. We need to understand that prayer is a saving of time. I like this one quote by William Temple. He says, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't pray, they don't. I like to think of them as miracles. Okay? When I pray, miracles happen, and when I don't pray, they don't. Every answer to prayer is a miracle. Amen? Amen? So are we too busy to pray or too busy not to pray? 
R.A. Torrey was a close friend and an associate of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He wrote, we are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. So as I've been working on this and looking over this message this past week, the Lord was just really speaking to me and saying, you need to once again make prayer a greater priority in your ministry. And, and a few days ago, I just really started praying, just, just spending time on my knees, just praying that God would fill me with the Spirit. And, and yesterday morning, I get on the plane, and I have an aisle seat. The guy next to me, he's, uh, he looked Hispanic. The guy was bald. He looked like a really tough individual. So, so I was just friendly to him as I got on. As I got into my seat, just uh, said, how are you? And just exchanged a few words. And, and I was wondering if this guy would be interested in conversation. But anyways, as the plane was about to take off, I just pulled out my book on, on prayer called Praying Hide. Interestingly, this guy looks over to me, and you know what he says to me? He says, are you a Christian? I go, oh, great. We can have a great conversation now. I didn't have to initiate it. Here he comes asking me if I'm a Christian. Well, we ended up talking the whole trip. We ended up covering the Sabbath. We ended up talking about the state of the dead and what the Bible says about hell. And basically, this brother wants to begin Bible studies, and we ex ended up exchanging contact information. And I was saying, Lord, I know that, that the reason this happened, there's a direct correlation with, uh, between the amount of time I spent in the past few days and this experience. Amen. Because I know that in times past, when I've also decided to spend much time in prayer, God would bring people to me that are searching for the truth. But when I don't spend that kind of time in prayer, guess what? I've got to go seeking for them. Does that make sense? Jesus said in John chapter 6, turn with me to John chapter 6. This is a verse that came to my mind yesterday. John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This verse came to my mind yesterday. And, and, and what I realized is that as I'm praying to be filled with God's Spirit, His Spirit, His life, who is it that's drawing the people? It's Jesus. It's God who's drawing the people. You know, it's for this reason I believe that Jesus in Luke 24 verse 49 said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He didn't tell them, you need to pray for 10 days. He just said, you just tarry. You tarry till you are endued with power from on high. And I believe those disciples, they would have prayed for 10 days. And had not the Holy Spirit come, they would have prayed for 15 and 20 days. They would have prayed and they would have been obedient to Jesus' command. You know, it's been said that the disciples prayed for 10 days, and then Peter goes out and preaches for 10 minutes, and over 3,000 are converted. <laughs> but what do we do? We pray for 10 minutes. We preach for 10 days and 20 days. And, and, and we praise God for three baptisms. But what would happen if we would pray?
We're told in Christian service, the work of God is to be carried on to completion by the cooperation of divine and human agencies. Those who are self-sufficient may be apparently active in the work of God, but if they are prayerless, if they are what? Prayerless, prayerless their activity is of no avail. Could they look into the censure of the angel that stands at the golden altar before the rainbow-encircled throne? They would see that the merit of Jesus must be mingled with our prayers and efforts, or they are as worthless as was the offering of Cain. Could we see all the activity of human instrumentality as it appears before God, we would see that only the work accomplished by much prayer, which is sanctified by the merit of Christ, will stand the test of judgment. When the grand review shall take place, then shall ye return and discern between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. So friends, there is so much that we do under the sun. It's all done in the flesh. But it's only the work that is accomplished by much prayer that will stand what? The test of judgment. We need to walk in the Spirit. Amen? We've got to work in the Spirit. We've got to pray in the Spirit. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who, Jesus is speaking here, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? There's going to be a lot of church-going people that have been very active for the Lord. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And sure, this applies to the person who knows about the Sabbath truth and yet continues to go to church on Sunday, sure. But does it apply to us Adventists who have all the truths and yet we're doing the work in our own strength and in the flesh without prayer, without dependence on God? Friends, we need to take time for prayer. And prayer is best learned simply by praying. And the experience of prayer only gets sweeter as you spend much time in prayer. As God begins to fill you with His Spirit. We need to take time for prayer. In closing, I want to share with you uh, these statements about Enoch, who is also an example for us. Enoch walked with God 300 years previous to his translation to heaven. And the state of the world was not then more favorable for the perfection of Christian character than it is today. And how did Enoch walk with God? He educated his mind and heart to ever feel that he was in the presence of God. And when in perplexity, his prayers would ascend to God to keep him. He refused to take any course that would offend his God. He kept the Lord continually before him. He would pray, teach me thy way that I may not err. What is thy pleasure concerning me? What shall I do to honor thee, my God? Thus he was constantly shaping his way and course in accordance with God's commandments. And he had perfect confidence and trust in his heavenly father that he would help him. He had no thought or will of his own. It was all submerged in the will of his father. Now have we read about the experience of someone else? They had a very similar experience. Whose experience was that? Jesus. 
who was in complete subjection to his father's will. She ends by saying, Now Enoch was a representative of those who will be upon the earth when Christ shall come, who will be translated to heaven without seeing death. Amen. How many of you are looking forward to Christ's second coming? Amen. How many of you want to go home? Amen. Friends, those who will have the privilege of being translated to heaven without seeing death, I don't believe simply because you are a Seventh-day Adventist, part of the last generation that you're going to be translated to heaven. I believe those who will be translated to heaven will be those who have had a special walk with Christ on this earth. They are those who have had an experience like that of Enoch. Is that your desire? Friends, we must learn to pray. For it is through much prayer and it's through God's word that we're going to learn to have unbroken communion with Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.